We come to the uh, last conference of the retreat, and uh, uh, your uh, Lenten penance has been largely done already by listening to the blathering of this old bishop. Uh, I want to express to all of you my uh, thanks for your kindness toward me. Uh, bishops aren't always treated so kindly these days. A uh, bishop friend of mine broke his hip in the shower and uh, had to be taken to the hospital to have it surgically replaced or fixed or something, and got a get-well card from his priest council. It just said, Dear Bishop, we're sorry about your accident. We're praying for your speedy recovery. It was signed, Ten yes, six no, and two abstentions. <laughs> the... Uh, uh, Sometimes uh, bishops uh, catch it in some different directions. Uh, not in this diocese, but there is an Irish pastor. The bishop came to the parish for uh, confirmation, and the bishop must have been having a bad day or something, but he was griping about everything. The books weren't well kept. Uh, the parish grounds weren't well kept. Uh, one thing after the other, and the Irish pastor's Irish was up. And so at the, right before the confirmation, he said, Ah, my dear children, he said, I don't want you to get complacent just because you're going to be confirmed. Even after confirmation, it's possible you could lose your soul. That's possible. He said, myself, I not only received uh, a confirmation, but holy orders. I could lose my soul. That's possible. And you see that bishop there? He can go to hell, too. LAUGHTER <laughs> <coughs> Uh, our Lord uh, said to uh, those gathered in that upper room uh, at the uh, uh, time of uh, the great resurrection, the glorious and splendid uh, fulcrum of human history that we're going to celebrate at the end of our season of Lent. Uh, he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you. And those words were spoken, of course, uh, precisely and explicitly to the apostles and their successors, but to the entire Catholic Church. And that includes uh, lay people. Lay people are also called uh, to uh, this special and particular vocation. Second Vatican Council, for the first time, there were the 21st Council of the Church and the previous 20 hadn't spoken specifically about the lay vocation. But in the great and most important document, uh, Lumen Gentium, the Dogmatic Constitution on the Church, the fourth chapter talks about the laity. And uh, not only that, but it's specified and amplified in the decree on the laity. So uh, that decree is called Apostolicum Actuositatum in Latin from its first words. But the laity are far more important. And sometimes we forget, as lay people, uh, that this is a vocation. It's a call from God and a noble vocation, a high vocation, a special vocation. And the vocation of the laity has to do, as the council says, with, in a certain sense, the secular world, the temporal order, to bring Christ in to all those various areas of life that are not specifically ecclesiastical. Uh, uh, the uh, life of uh, the family, the life of the home, 
the life of marriage and parenting, the life of politics, business, industry, commerce, labor, arts, entertainment, technology. There's no way that Christ is ever going to enter those areas unless he's brought there by the laity. And this is the call, the vocation of lay people, of lay men and women, to bring Christ, as Fulton Sheen used to say, through all those doors that say, employees only, no entry, private. Jesus is never going to go there unless he's brought there by the lay people. Those people who practice the professions, those people who are called by God in, uh, to do specifically uh, that job, to uh, Christianize and bring Christ and his values to the secular world. The secular world has a certain autonomy, and that autonomy places a layperson in his or her vocation in a certain tension. And this derives actually from the words of sacred scripture, the word world. World is ambiguous and apparently, but only apparently, paradoxically uh, contradictory. The world is good. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But also the world is bad. Know that the world will hate you. It hated me before you. And if you love the world, you don't love God. Uh, how do you put this together? And in that tension, that's the lay vocation, the vocation of uh, bringing Christ into this world and somehow putting them together, the world that God loves so much that he sent his only son not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And uh, the tension that uh, this world, which is marred and uh, hurt, wounded, not corrupted, but wounded by Adam's sin and ours, and how important it is then in this vocation of laity to understand what one is called for. The Second Vatican Council, um, for the first time in history, talks explicitly about the lay vocation and what it comports. Uh, it has one of the uh, tensions is always to uh, how do you have diversity in mission and unity in mission? How do, you ha how do you have these two things put together? And in that uh, tension, a productive tension, much uh, can be accomplished. The Second Vatican Council talks, for example, about how uh, the values of Christ uh, have to be inserted into a very pluralistic world, a very diverse world, using the old expression of St. Vincent of Lorenz. In Latin, it goes, in essentius unitas in aliis libertas in omnibus caritas. It means in essential things unity, in other things liberty, but in everything charity. And how to bring that into our world is not an easy task, but it's a task assigned to those God loves especially. That's why he makes so many of them. That's what the world in which the lay people are called to exercise their mission. There are uh, in the council uh, documents specifically about the laity, there are a series of rights that lay people have. And uh, this should be known. 
the right, for example, to hear the word of God in all its integrity, in all its completeness, in all its lights, in all its shadows. That's a right that lay people have by their baptism, by their incorporation into the church, the family of God. They have a right to correct liturgy, not one distorted by frivolous or weird priests or something. They have a right to worship God as God himself designates himself to be worshipped in and through his bride and his body. Uh, Lay people uh, have a right, a right to make their needs and desires known to the leaders of the church. A right that uh, doesn't, there's not a corresponding duty of the leaders of the church necessarily to conform to what lay people desire or or wish, but they have a a right, a right to make this known. And uh, uh, there is a corresponding right to live, listen on the part of the pastors of the church to listen reverently and uh, carefully to what is being presented. And they have also, and this is with an obligation, a duty, they have a right, lay people have a right, when they have special kinds of competence and special kinds of knowledge, to put that at the service of the church in and through the hierarchy of the church, the shepherds of the church. And this is, I can assure you, that holy orders even being a bishop, doesn't give you competence in all kinds of areas. I'm completely incompetent in pharmacology. I know nothing about financial management. Uh, If I didn't have lay people who, uh, wonderful, courageous, self-giving, heroic lay people to do this for me as I was the ordinary bishop of this diocese, I would have been totally incompetent. Uh, Unfortunately, there are some bishops who think they uh, know some things about uh, matters, but they don't always do that. Uh, So there are are these uh, obligations, the obligation uh, always uh, to... uh, from the Second Vatican Council, to be obedient to the pastors of the church. Their perspective, their job, their charism is somewhat different. But nonetheless, uh, cowardice should not keep us from asserting uh, what we are able to assert. And so long as this is always done in a charitable, reverent, considerate way. Uh, I've received many inconsiderations, as I told you at the beginning, uh, I recall I just came to the diocese and was visiting a parish in, out west, and the lady was reading the prayer of the faithful. And she said, for hunchbacks, cripples, people with running sores, and for our new bishop, let us pray to the Lord. <laughs> I, I knew the category in which I was inserted. Uh, uh, in addition to the uh, fourth chapter of uh, the dogmatic constitution about the laity, specifically about the laity, and also uh, in addition to the decree on the laity, uh, the, uh, the duties of the lay people are also inserted in three other places in uh, the Second Vatican Council. Uh, in uh, the decree on the missions, ad gentes, uh, the entire church is missionary. And just the fact that uh, we are called 
by Christ to be members of his bride, his body, his church. We are called to be missionaries. And uh, the call to be a missionary is not limited to those in holy orders or those consecrated in religious life. Everyone is a missionary. Uh, How this mission is exercised has to be a matter of prudence. Uh, Once again, uh, some people who are wearing their religion on their sleeve are counterproductive. They're not really effective missionaries. They drive people away instead of attracting them. Uh, But uh, at the same time, there must be a sense that uh, I have a responsibility to bring Christ to others. And our world uh, is uh, still Christless for the most part. There are one billion that were know of, one billion, eight hundred million uh, Catholics in our world uh, of the Latin Rite, another 550 million in the Eastern Rites. Uh, so uh, that's a huge number, uh, but it's only a fraction of the 12 or 13 billion people that inhabit the planet. And if Christ isn't everywhere, uh, it might be that it's through our defective instruments uh, that uh, he is not there. The, the second place, and it's interesting, uh, is in the decree on priestly formation and religious life. Uh, uh, families, especially, are, as the council repeatedly says, a domestic church. And this domestic church is a place where reverence and consideration for those who might be called by God to a different and kind of sublime vocation to give oneself totally and completely to God in the priesthood and religious life. So in a certain sense, every Catholic family is supposed to be a, a, a first seminary. It's so supposed to be a, a first convent. Uh, every Catholic family is supposed to be a family and marriage formation for the children in that family. And by the example and prayer of the parents, this is uh, exceptionally crucial and exceptionally important. The vocation of uh, being a layperson often, not always, but often involves the call from God to be a parent. And that uh, has a very important aspect to it. Um, There's nothing that can resonate better in the heart and memory of a person than the father of the family leading the rosary and saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty. There's nothing that can teach people how to live, even in some normal tensions that come into married life, uh, without knowing how mom and dad could kneel down each night and say, forgive us as we forgive. These are lessons that are taught in almost invisible ways, but real ways, uh, by uh, by parents. Uh, Sometimes um, we uh, underestimate uh, the great importance that God calls uh, us to. And uh, being uh, a layman and being a father of a family has uh, an incredible amount of uh, importance uh, associated uh, with, with, with that call. I would uh, say that uh, there are a few things that are more significant in the life of the church and, quite honestly, in Christian civilization than a restoration of family life. And as we know, this is horribly uh, distorted. Uh, an increasing number 
of families don't have fathers. And as I said, the denial of sin, it's called shacking up, being sexually active. They have all kinds of expressions for this kind of uh, sinfulness that permeates our culture and that has become a kind of uh, second uh, thought uh, to almost everyone. So that that's an important aspect. And then finally, in the decree on ecumenism, unitas Integratio, that too is uh, a place where the lay vocation has uh, a very significant impact, or should have. Being called as a layman must, must be dedicated to Christian unity, to bringing all into one. Jesus at the Last Supper prayed that the all might be one, as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that the world may believe that you sent me. One of the reasons why the advance, the onslaught of non-Catholic uh, Christianity uh, is onward is because uh, there isn't that kind of sense of unity, and it's a scandal to the non-Catholic, uh, non-Christian world uh, to see the Christian dis- disunity that takes place. There's a normal tension there, too, between evangelization, uh, mission, and uh, ecumenism. We can't be uh, indifferent. We can't uh, be, uh, for the sake of Christian unity, in any way compromising the doctrines of Christ and his church. But we must nonetheless uh, be open and willing. And in many places, the only contact, the only contact that non-Catholics have with the church is through a Catholic layperson. And that can be for good or for evil. And sometimes, as I mentioned in some of the conferences, we don't we underestimate and don't understand even the impact we have, uh, the preaching that we do by the way we live, by the deeds we do, uh, by the way we speak. And I'll tell you about an incident that happened here in Lincoln. I, uh, when I was just came here a few years ago, uh, like 28 years ago, um, I used to uh, do the, uh, when I didn't have something else on Sundays, do the big mass, the high mass at the cathedral. And uh, particular Sunday, I um, had, uh, uh, something was canceled, so I called up and said I would uh, have the mass and uh, called up the rector. So I hurriedly did my homily. And I had, a, I forgot what the occasion was, but the, I, I, I used an incident in the homily, a story that, that happened to me. And uh, I thought, uh, I normally you wouldn't use even the, the location or the names, but it was long ago and far away. So I was, when I was in a pastor in Milwaukee, I was going to dinner with somebody at the Milwaukee Athletic Club in downtown Milwaukee, and a big lobby, and then the restaurant is on the second floor, so you've got to wait for an elevator. So I uh, was with my friends. We were at the elevator, and coming down from the second floor, the elevator opened, and uh, there were a group of businessmen getting off. And as they did, one of the uh, businessmen uh, used the Lord's name in vain. And next to me, going up for another occasion, was Mrs. Fred Miller. She was the widow of the president of Miller Brewery, and uh, 
Mrs. Fred Miller was, uh, they had 12 kids, and it was a great Catholic family. He was a, there was a cadet branch of the founders of the brewery, and he had been killed a few years before. He was flying in the, uh, in the uh, corporate plane with a 12-year-old son and crashed and died. But she had the 11, other 11 kids, but she was going up there with some of her own associates. And as this guy got off the elevator and used the Lord's name, she walked right up to him, grabbed his lapel and said, Sir, don't talk about Jesus that way. He happens to be a friend of mine. If you let him be, he could be your friend too. And the, the guy was pretty shocked and uh, stepped back. So I used that incident in the, uh, in the homily. I came back in the sacristy after Mass. Who was waiting for me but Mrs. Fred Miller? I was flabbergasted. I had no idea. Uh, and I, I, she, she was very flattered, of course, and we corresponded until she died some years later. But it's interesting because uh, it turned out that one of her daughters was the head of the Peace Corps in the first Bush administration. And then she, in the second Bush administration, she was uh, the ambassador to Norway. And the, the Methodist uh, University here in Lincoln, Wesleyan, had her as the commencement speaker. And uh, she, her husband, they lived in Arlington, Virginia, and her husband uh, couldn't come with her for some, he was working for the government or something. And so uh, she invited her mother from Oconomowoc, Wisconsin, to join her and, and come here with her. So uh, Mrs. Fred Miller was with her, and uh, they were, they told the Parsons over there at Wesley, and we're Catholics, we've got to go to Mass on Sunday. So they called around and found this cathedral Mass, and they turned up there. But I, I still, it was uh, astronomical, the possibility of this happening, this coincidence. And, uh, uh, of course, it took a long time, and I don't think they still believe it, that I, I didn't know she was in town, and I had no idea that she was going to be at the cathedral for that Mass. But at any rate, uh, sometimes uh, the incident, though, is significant. Uh, she was a gutsy woman, and I wouldn't want to be on the wrong side of her in an argument, but she she uh, was uh, very formidable. But nonetheless, I mean, she was brave and courageous, and she stepped right up. And don't talk about Jesus that way. He happens to be my friend. If you let him be, he could be your friend too. And uh, I don't know if this converted that man or what it did to him, but uh, uh, whatever. I, I, I give that as an example of uh, there are people, uh, sometimes the only contacts they have are with uh, Catholic lay people. And once again, I say uh, repeatedly what uh, Fulton Sheen said. Uh, through those doors that say private, no entry, employees only, all that stuff, there's no way uh, the Lord or anything about him is going to go through that door except with a Catholic layman or Catholic laywoman. So I would uh, urge very strongly that uh, this be uh, uh, part of maybe uh, your outlook uh, uh, on the way uh, things are or, or should be. I, um, one of the uh, things that uh, we might uh, think of, however, is that... Uh, we're sometimes a little shy, and maybe we should be. Sometimes it can be counterproductive. I, there's nothing more annoying than somebody who's uh, handing you leaflets from a religion or pushing this or pushing that. And we like to live in comedy and comfort uh, with our neighbors. Uh, but we must remember that the Lord said we're to love uh, our neighbor. He didn't say we're supposed to uh, tolerate our neighbor. 
we're supposed to uh, know we must love our neighbor. And uh, we, loving means more than just uh, uh, letting them alone. Uh, we, if nothing else, must uh, stand and uh, be uh, what we're supposed to be. There's a story Fulton Sheen liked to tell, too, about a family, Catholic family, lived next door to the family of an agnostic or atheist professor, university professor. And on December 8th, the boy was, kind of little, he was 10 or 12, was coming out of his house and uh, was, uh, the professor was coming out of his house. And where are you going so early in the morning? The kid said, I'm going to Mass. It's the Feast of Mary's Immaculate Conception. Oh, said the professor, uh, and what's the difference between Mary and my mother? And the kid looked at him and said, well, there's a heck of a difference between their sons. (laughs) Uh, uh, Sometimes the wisdom of the ancients. A very good friend of mine, uh, since most laymen have, not all by any means, but most uh, people are called to the lay state, also have the vocation of being a father of a family. Uh, a good friend of mine, he's the retired Archbishop of Newark, New Jersey now, uh, John Myers. But when he was in Peoria, he wrote a pastoral letter uh, entitled Fathers and Fatherhood. And he gave some points of advice to those who received the vocation of being fathers. He said, first of all, fathers should trust always in the Lord and the Heavenly Father's providence for themselves and their families. Such trust can only come from the practice of prayer, the use of the sacraments, the study of sacred scripture, and decent reading and uh, included television programs of a Catholic nature. Second, fathers should cultivate these virtues uh, that they need as a spouse, a disciple, a father, and things like humility, compassion, faith, fidelity to one's word, and so on. Third, fathers should share their faith and prayer life with their family and their love for the church, staying close to the church always. Fourth, Fathers should remember that their marriage covenant will give them the necessary actual graces to enable them to know how to import, impart their moral and religious values and principles uh, to their children. Fifth, fathers should make a great effort to always love their wives, support them, affirm them, esteem them as equal and responsible partners in the marriage bond and in the task of child-rearing. Uh, misguided parents often try to buy the affection of their children by shirking their obligation uh, to rebuke and even punish inappropriate uh, uh, behavior or language. I, uh, we all know those make the other spouse uh, the villain. Uh, wait till your father gets home, and he's got to be the punisher and the ogre. Or uh, uh, can I, no, go ask your mother. You know, you're not supposed to, he, dad could say no, but it's easier to push it off. Uh, Sometimes, especially if there is some tension in the parents' relationship with each other, one parent will cast the other in the role of a punisher or naysayer uh, while trying to retain his own popularity with the children. As children grow older and closer to their emancipation from their God-given duty of obedience, they deserve and need more trust, privacy, and personal autonomy. Nevertheless, even teenage youngsters require and have a right to have clearly set boundaries, rules, and limits, as well as their enforcement from their parents. Indeed, even children over 18 who continue to live in their parents' home 
are morally obliged to obey their parents in those matters that pertain to the good order of the household. So sometimes uh, these kind of rudimentary principles of Catholic family life uh, can be easily uh, forgotten. Once again, uh, the importance, I think, is to recognize that um, being a lay person in the church is a call from God. They're not just leftover people after God picks some to be priests and religious. No, no. They, you're important and uh, crucial. And not only that, your duties are more than just to pay, pray, and obey. Uh, your duties are extend far beyond that. And to recognize what your vocation as a layman or laywoman is and to walk in that recognition is an important and significant part of uh, what the modern world needs. So I would, uh, once again, it's not easy to do, but occasionally if you're able to come upon them, I would urge you to uh, read uh, that decree on the laity of the Second Vatican Council. Read the fourth chapter. The whole thing is okay. Read the fourth chapter of uh, Lumen Gentium, the dogmatic constitution on the church. Uh, It's very important. The constitution on the church in the modern world, of course, has a whole section also on family life, obligations, as well as duties and privileges of parenting, and the great vocation, uh, sub-vocation under the laity that uh, parenting uh, involves. So I would urge you to do that because um, it wasn't just, as I said, to those who came before me and the other bishops of the church through the centuries, but it was uh, uh, to uh, others that uh, the great words were said, uh, as a father sent me, so I send you. Uh, With that, I also... uh, as you go forward, uh, ask you to ask God to bless you with safe travel for those of you who have to go a distance to get home. Uh, bless your families, your loved ones. Uh, those of you who ask me for special prayer intentions, I can assure you you have them, and I'd be glad to uh, include them in my uh, daily prayers as well as uh, memory of them all uh, here at the altar. I would also uh, ask you to... Uh, uh, pray for uh, your humble servant here who uh, has uh, sometimes um, uh, a need uh, for more than you might suspect uh, for prayerful support. One final story. One of our priests was on a bus here and uh, one of the people got on who was obviously a street person. Uh, you could smell the alcohol reeked, and as they always do, came and sat right next to the priest. <laughs> Hi, Father, I used to be an altar boy. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> the, 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 uh, uh, he took out a dirty old newspaper and was reading it there, and uh, he's, uh, all of a sudden he looked at the priest and said, Father, what causes arthritis? And he said, this is my chance. Sir, it's living like you do, not having a decent job, drinking too much, not uh, having a decent place, sleeping in the gutter. That's the kind of stuff that causes arthritis. The guy shrugged and went back to his dirty old newspaper. And the priest said, oh, my, I was too harsh. He said, I'm sorry, sir. He said, I, I spoke too harshly. Uh, uh, how long have you had arthritis? He said, I don't have arthritis. I'm just reading here the bishop has arthritis. <laughs> so, may God bless you. And uh, as I mentioned, uh, the blessing at the... Uh, 
at the Mass will be the last blessing. The blessing at the end of Mass will be the apostolic blessing that will um, impart, once again, the possibility of a plenary indulgence and uh, will, I hope, uh, carry into your lives and into your Easter a splendid and glorious celebration of the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, Go home and tell people uh, around you uh, that I've been reinvigorated a little bit uh, because we have, uh, I see very clearly, a church that's indestructible, uh, a doctrine that's infallible, a priesthood that's eternal, and we have a destiny that's immortal. Amen.